It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Over the course of the last two weeks, we studied and saw in Daniel chapter 2 that the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed by the fact that Daniel had not only revealed the contents of his dream, but was also able to interpret that dream. As a matter of fact, the Bible records that the king actually commanded that they should offer incense to Daniel. These are the very words confessed by Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. When you think about the utter impossibility of guessing the dream, it is a very persuasive event to establishing God's very existence. It was so convincing that the king was convinced that Daniel's God was able to pass the most difficult of tests and that he was indeed worthy of the title God of gods and Lord of kings. And so as a result of that one test, the weakness of the Babylonian gods and system of worship was exposed and the power of the God of the Bible was exalted. Yet as we continue our study of the book of Daniel, we will see amazingly enough that the king would revert back to the worship of the gods that he confessed were actually inferior to the God of Daniel. As we think about what happened in Babylon as recorded in Daniel 2, the king was not the only one who had witnessed the power of the God of the Bible to reveal the dream. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were Daniel's friends, they were there also. In our study today, we will draw a sharp contrast between the king's response to the revelation of the dream and the response of the three Hebrew boys. In the course of our journey today, we are going to learn something very important about God and something important about human nature. We don't know for certain just how much time elapsed between the dream in Daniel 2 and the events of Daniel chapter 3. The events of Daniel 2 took place sometime around 603 to 602 BC, which is just a little over two years after Nebuchadnezzar became king. It is possible that the setting up of the image occurred several years later, sometime around 594 to 593. In Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 29, the prophet records that in the fourth year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah made a journey to Babylon. It is possible that this journey was undertaken in a reply to Nebuchadnezzar's summons which are found in Daniel 3, in which the king sent word to gather all of the magistrates and administrators of his kingdom to Babylon. 
In any event, the amazing events of Daniel 3 must have occurred at least several years after Daniel 2, but not before the amazing events of Daniel chapter 4, which we will study next week. What this means is that enough time had gone by in order for the king to weigh and consider how the amazing revelation of the dream of chapter 2 would impact his life and the direction of the nation of Babylon. So, let's take a look at how the king related to the dream that no one but Daniel could reveal and interpret. I want you to remember, at first, the king was incredibly impressed with Daniel's God, the God of the Bible. Yet, after the passing of time, the Bible records these words found in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Imagine the scene with me. While basking in the thought that he represented the head of gold, the king was not satisfied with the fact that inferior kings would eventually take the place of Babylon. So instead, instead of submitting himself to the divine will and plan of God, he fought against it. Instead of accepting the interpretation of the rise and fall of nations after Babylon that were represented in the dream by the various metals, the king decided to make the entire image of gold. It was his attempt to demonstrate that Babylon would, in fact, not fall, but live forever. And next, he would invite representatives from all over his kingdom in order that these nations might also support his ambitions about Babylon's unending 
reign. Nebuchadnezzar's rejection of the will of God and attempt to bring security to his realm through king worship led to some disastrous results. Those who occupy positions of authority and are interested in extending their power and influence, Nebuchadnezzar's experience demonstrates that if we choose not to submit to the will and plan of God, we will end up worshiping and exalting ourselves. Please take note, in the first seven verses of Daniel 3, six times the Bible records the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar set up the golden image. Later in Daniel 3, the setting up of the image is mentioned three other times. Nine times in this chapter, the Bible emphasizes that Nebuchadnezzar set up the image. It would seem that the Bible is trying to send us a clear message. The one who set up the image, he is the one who is being worshipped. And although this is certainly narcissistic, persecuting those who refuse to worship the image the king had set up in his honor by throwing them into a burning, fiery furnace is certainly much more disastrous than his own self-worship. The Bible paints a dark picture here of those who were once enlightened choosing to reject the light of God's word and find fulfillment in the gratification of pride and ambition, especially at the expense of others. It would appear that for Nebuchadnezzar, confessing that Daniel's God, the God of the Bible, is the true God is one thing, but submitting himself wholeheartedly is quite another. While the king was intellectually convinced that Daniel's God was the true God, he did not submit himself to the God of heaven. The actions of the king represent the actions of many people today. People who are convinced intellectually and convicted by the truth of God's existence and the truth of the scriptures, yet they do not submit themselves to God's revealed plan in their lives. It is this fact that explains why there is a majority of contradictory religious views today. It is not because the God of the Bible lacks the ability to overwhelmingly convince those opposed to him that he is the true God. He certainly did that with the king and the wise men of Babylon. And as we continue on this series, you will find him doing it over and over again. Why so many contradictory views? Because God leaves people free to choose a choice to either serve him or not to serve him. However, if we reject him and his plan, by human nature, we will end up worshiping someone or something else. It is this that then creates all of the contradictory religious views that we find in our world today. Notice something else. There is a sharp contrast between the methods of Daniel's God and the God of the Bible and Nebuchadnezzar's methods. 
In giving the dream and then revealing its content and interpretation to Daniel, the God of the Bible uses the power of intellectual and spiritual wisdom that appeals even to those like the king who have all kinds of prejudices against him. Think about it. Before Daniel revealed to the king the dream and its interpretation, there is no way that the king ever would have stated that Daniel's God is the true God. Yet through the power of probability revealed in declaring the dream, the interpretation of the dream, and its historical fulfillment, the king freely confessed that Daniel's God is the true God. However, although Daniel's God has power to enlighten and convict those who do not know him, he does not use the power of force or coercion in order to compel people to worship him. The king's rejection of Daniel's interpretation of the dream in Daniel 3 is proof of just that. Now let's contrast that with the king's method. In Daniel 3, the king assembles dignitaries from all over his realm. He first tries to seduce the allegiance of his subjects to bow down to the image through the power of music. Yet when that fails, he forces them to bow down and worship him on the threat and consequence of death. Nebuchadnezzar and the gods of Babylon delight in power, which is the major weapon that they use in order to coerce their people into worship and loyalty. Friends, it is not might that makes right. Now, although the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, possesses infinite power, his power is in the service of his wisdom, justice, benevolence, and love. He does not take any pleasure in forced or coerced worship. He wants us to love and serve him out of an intellectual appreciation of who he is. He wants us to serve him because we are free to do so. And so in Babylon, the music played. People bowed down, but not everyone. The three Hebrew boys refused to bow down. They desired to be faithful to the God of heaven. Once the king found out that these three men did not bow down to worship the golden image that he had set up, he immediately called for them. Let's read in Daniel 3, verses 14 and 15, to see what happened. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? 
The implication behind Nebuchadnezzar's challenging question is that there is no such God that exists. It's as if the king is saying, if he does exist, then I defy him and his ability to do anything on your behalf anyways. Yet, it's ironic that several years earlier, he told Daniel that your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings. And the reason back then for his conclusion was that no one but the true God could reveal this secret. Oh, friends, listen. This story demonstrates to those who directly challenge the existence of God, just like King Nebuchadnezzar did, they do so not because God has not revealed himself to them with unmistakable evidence, but because they have rejected the true God and have begun to worship other things. What is it that they worship? Ultimately, friends, when we reject the existence of God and declare that our ways are better than his ways, we are in turn worshiping ourselves. Yet self-worship is disguised as the worship of whatever image they have placed in their lives that replaces the true God. It could be science, art, music, philosophy, or any other list of things. Thus, atheists, agnostics, and even other religious leaders who scoff at the existence of God or at his ability, love, and power may be doing so because they want to stifle their previous convictions about the overwhelming evidence for his existence. They're following in the footsteps of King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's now look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded to the king's challenge. And their response is found in Daniel 3, verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What is it that gave these three young men this much confidence in their God that they would be willing to stand by his revealed will even in the midst of the greatest pressure that was brought upon them? If the existence of God was a fairy tale, or if indeed the Babylonian gods were stronger than the God of the Bible, then certainly these young men would not be willing to face death in order to protect something that they knew was intrinsically false. Yet, they were willing to face death rather than dishonor their God. They were no doubt familiar with passages such as Isaiah 43, 1-3, which state, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, 
for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Friends, the reason that they could trust in this promise is it had already been demonstrated back in Daniel 2. You see, if their God could reveal the content of the king's dream, the interpretation of the dream, and the incredible historical fulfillment of that dream, then they could confidently say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace should he choose to do so. The highly improbable nature of revealing the events of the king's dream in Daniel's to impress them with the thought that God can use his ability to do highly improbable things like protect them from the flames. And that is exactly what God did. As a matter of fact, this was the case of a fire selectively burning everything else except their hair and clothing. While the flames engulfed the strong men who threw them into the furnace, Daniel records that these three Hebrews did not even smell like smoke. And once again, we see God revealing himself to the king. Listen to what happened. When the young men are thrown into the furnace, as found in Daniel 3, 22 to 25. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Beyond just protecting and saving the three Hebrews, God desired to make an impact and difference in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible is clear that one like the Son of God, Jesus himself walked in the fire with these young men. What this story suggests about the character of God is absolutely astounding. First, God was doing all he could to reach the king and open his eyes as to who God truly was. In addition, was a very important lesson for those three Hebrew young men. They believed that God existed. They had a relationship with God and knew that God could deliver them from their troubles. But God did not deliver them from their troubles, did he? No. He didn't deliver them from the trouble, but rather he walked through the trouble with them. And here 
is the power of God in this story. God is doing all he can to reveal himself to us today. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants to save us from this planet that seems to be spiraling out of control. And here's the guarantee that he has made. In whatever trial we face, in whatever problem we are dealing with, in whatever challenges that are on the horizon, he will walk through that trial with us. He exists. He is real. And according to 1 John 4, 8, he is love. He desires a relationship with you and with me. Today is the day to not only acknowledge that he exists, but today is the day to enter into relationship with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in a mighty way. And now as we see you revealing yourself, we come to you and ask that you would give us the strength to enter into relationship with you, to trust you, to follow you all the days of our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, isn't it amazing how God revealed himself over and over again to King Nebuchadnezzar, that he might enter into relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar, that he might save Nebuchadnezzar from his sin. What's even more amazing is that God continues to reveal himself today. He's revealed himself in his holy word. He's revealed himself in the world of nature, all in an effort to enter into relationship with you, to enter into relationship with me, that he might save us, that we would be prepared to live with him forever in his kingdom that will never end. Today, I would like to offer to you a book, The Thought Makers. This book will engage you in reading about thought makers throughout time and how they were led to acknowledge the God of the Bible. Here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Philosophy's Achilles Heel it has been a journey that we have taken together to look at how God has revealed himself over and over again with one goal in mind, to enter into relationship with each and every one of us. If you happen to have missed any of this series, 
you can go to our YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada and there you can watch any of Philosophy's Achilles Heel or any other program that we have produced. I hope you are finding God's love in your life through seeing him reveal himself in his word and through the world of nature. I'm glad you joined us today. I encourage you to join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.